verses 1 through 14 to uh, letter by Paul to the Ephesians. We're going to be greeting Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Oh, pardon me. Before I get into this, uh, children, ages 4 through 14, this is Christian Truth Children's Church. Thank you. Okay, yeah, please stand while I read this. Okay, I'll start again. Uh, chapter 1 with the uh, greeting from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The spiritual blessing in Christ follow. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chooses us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be whole and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his works, all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thank you so much, Ed. Working our way through this fantastic introduction. It's a one long run-on sentence, as Paul originally wrote it. It's like a preamble to this great letter from Paul, one of his um, somewhat later letters, not one of his first letters, but one of the letters that he wrote uh, a, bit, a bit later. Ephesus was a very important city in the early church. Paul actually was there for quite some time, three years teaching, uh, previ uh, previous to this letter. And it was an uh, important church. And, of course, one of the churches that was addressed in the book of Revelation at the very end. Uh, it's the one that had lost their love, their first love. Uh, so we read this glorious book, and we're, of course, impacted here right at the very beginning by the blessings of, of God. God has blessed us immensely. I mean, it's, it's rich and full and complex and layered and beautiful. Lots and lots of language here in the sentence that Ed just read for us. Uh, he lavish, lavished, lavished upon us, verse 8. He lavished this according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God's great wisdom. God is all-wise, all-knowing. Uh, the eternal, self-existing creator God. And this is his 
And notice it says in verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, in all wisdom and intelligence. God's intelligence is intense. The last several weeks, I've been throwing out there Isaiah, a, bit, a bit of Isaiah 6. You know, where that's the scene of the throne room of God. Uh, let me just read a little bit of Isaiah 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Hebrew would be Yahweh Sabaoth. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of, of all capability, uh, of, of the hosts of armies, the ranks and ranks of inf infinite amount of, of strength and power at his disposal. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Sabaoth. The whole earth is full of his glory, is what these angels, these seraphim, the seraphs, the burning, glowing entities of fierce and fearsome and scary. Any, any human being who ever saw them said, I'm terrified. I, I'm, I'm, you know, what, the first thing out of their mouth is, fear not. It's not, uh, you know, we've said this many times, it's not some chubby little cherub, you know. I don't know if you've seen those Night in the Museum movies. Again, I, my movie catalog goes way back. But the, uh, the, the one where they go to the Smithsonian and they have the uh, cherubs flying around and shooting the arrows at people. Really cute, really, really cute. But those aren't biblical angels. <laughs> you, you know, the biblical angels are massive beings that reflect their creator in some amazing way. And they're, they're worshiping God. And they have this, this beautiful phrase, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, Sabaoth. They're a part of the Sabaoth, the seraphim themselves. Um, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And our run-on sentence here, the inspired text, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, has that as its theme, remember. He's lavished all of this grace on us, and verse 6 is to the praise of his glorious grace. And then verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And then verse 14, the final, to the praise of his glory. You know, honestly, if you're feeling well and you go out on a day like this, you know, if you have, uh, you know, time, look at the ocean today. I, I was down ha halfway to Big Sur yesterday at Garapata State Beach uh, and looking at the, the ocean. The Pacific is a fantastic color. Just, you know, it's that uh, bluish green, uh, turquoise, teal complex color. I used to live in New Jersey. You go look at the Atlantic, it kind of looks like mud. Uh, it's, it's sort of gray. I'm probably being unfair, but that's my recollection of it. <laughs> but the Pacific is just, you know, mind-blowing, poppingly beautiful. Uh, in fact, later on in my presentation, I'll, I have a picture I took of it yesterday. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we've been talking about glory in this text quite a bit. And, and I was thinking, you know, we have several members of our church and some recent folks who've moved away recently um, and they're going through some really, really tough times, really difficult times. Um, and we've been praying a lot as a community for people suffering. And, you know, how does that connect with this, the whole earth is filled with his glory? You know, actually, it, it's a perfect connection. Why, why is illness so sad? Why is it so difficult? It's because life is so good. It's so wonderful. God's creation is, 
is so awesome. And when we can't participate or when we're not feeling well or when we see possibly the end of our life in view, we're grieving and we're sorry uh, because life is so good. It just glows in the dark. It's amazing. This thing that God has created for us to enjoy. And that, that kind of puts the, the sorrow in our grieving because God's gift is so wonderful. But our text today, I'm looking specifically at the indwelling God, uh, finally kind of getting around to uh, finishing up this long sentence, 12, uh, 13, and 14, the very end. We have uh, this explanation of how we participate in this lavish grace that God has poured out on us. Uh, we see verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, you know, Paul's thinking there of the Jewish origins of our faith. He, Paul's Jew, and at the very beginning, uh, the Jews were the first, uh, exclusively, really. They were the first church. It was very Jewish. They were all Jews. And they, they were the first to hope in Christ. It's actually interesting, the language here, because it's hope in uh, the Messiah, the Christ. The Greek word Christ, as you know, is the equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. It means anointed one, chosen one. And the Jews, a good biblical Jew, even today, is looking for the Messiah. They long to have the Messiah come, God's promised one. Well, Christ is that Messiah. And Paul is saying, we, we were the first to hope in Christ that we might be to the praise of his glory. In verse 13, in him you also, so he's addressing now the whole church and its wonderful ethnic diversity, it's always good to remind ourselves that the church is, is not an American invention. <laughs> it, is, it is not even American. The church is not American. It transcends the idea, of course, of America. It's all over the world. Uh, and it is originally Eastern, not Western uh, in origin. And uh, he's speaking to the Ephesians who live there in what's modern-day Turkey. He says, in him, you Gentiles, you also, and here's the human participation. We looked at this just a little bit, touched on it last week. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. When they heard the proclamation of the gospel, which was the word of truth, and they, it says, this gospel is the gospel of their salvation. Then they believed in him. See, that's the gospel. One of my favorite expressions of the gospel is in the Philippian jailer story. Uh, you know, uh, very briefly, Paul and his companion, I think Silas at the time, they were in prison in Philippi. And there was an earthquake that broke the whole prison up and it would appear that the prisoners would have escaped. And the Philippian jailer was beside himself uh, and was about ready to commit suicide because of this, because the penalty uh, would be so harsh on him, he'd probably be executed anyway because he would let these prisoners out. And Paul actually calls out, you know, stop, don't kill yourself. And uh, the man is so overwhelmed, and right then, the, he's, you know, he's filled with a spiritual crisis, and he, you know, he cries out, what do I have to do to be saved? He's probably been hearing Paul and Silas singing about the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. What do I, what must, in the King James, is, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel. Proclaim it to everyone. Everyone. You. Anyone. Uh, you come and believe. And that's exactly what Paul says here. You, and you believed in him, in Christ, in the Messiah. You believed in him. At that 
that moment, this, this transaction occurs, this, this miracle. I've said uh, in years past, for us personally, this is the most important miracle ever. The world is filled with an infinite number of miracles. I think everything's miraculous. I, you know, if a blade of grass grows, that's miraculous. Um, every molecule, every atom is miraculous. But for me, it's when God opens my heart to the gospel and I, I believe in Jesus. I throw myself at the Savior, the Messiah, and say, I believe. And I really do believe this. I believe Jesus died for me. He, he took my sin. He took my penalty. You know, that cross up there of all the broken glass brought back together in a beautiful mosaic is a reminder of this, that I'm actually a part of this. And I believe that. And th at this transactional moment, I'm saved. And the Holy Spirit is there working in, in me and through the gospel. And that's what he says. At this moment, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Again, the scenario of we're looking at the beauty of God, all of these promises go back up to the very first expression, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. A believer possesses that. I have this reality that he has blessed me in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. Even though now, I don't experience all those things. I have a promise of it. Uh, and I have a guarantee of it. And I have the seal of the Holy Spirit, the seal of God himself, the promise that this is real, this is absolutely true, no matter what I go through here on this earth. And the promise is I will go through bad stuff. Struggling. I will be possibly persecuted. I will possibly uh, have a, a, an accident of some sort. Or I will possibly get sick. Uh, and I, you know, unless Jesus comes back, and he, he might come back very soon, which would be awesome. He promises he will come back. But, you know, we're 2,000 years post-promise that he's coming back. So it could be today. It could be another 1,000 years. We have, really have no idea how long it is. Every generation says, I think it's going to be now. <laughs> you know? And let's pray that it is. You know, Pray that it is. But in, in short of that, I have news for you. 100% of us in this room will die. I, is that depressing? It's, it's maybe not the best news you heard this morning, but you, you already knew this. Um, and, and, and what this text is saying is, that doesn't erase God's promise to us. God's promise is still there, and we have a guarantee of it until we acquire possession of it. Like I said this a week ago, two weeks ago, yes, it actually is pie in the sky. <laughs> oh, that used to be, you know, a way to criticize the gospel. Uh, but, you know, in a silly sort of way that's yes that's what this is saying i have an inheritance it's incorruptible it can't be stolen it can't rust away you know it can't deflate it can't go through a crash and a, a downsizing i have this inheritance that's a guarantee uh until i acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory so we look at the pacific ocean and we think, wow, that's glorious. It is, it is really beautiful. But it pales in comparison to uh, God's everlasting life and the, the joy of forgiveness and the promise of heaven that cannot be taken away by cancer or illness or crash or any other means by which we will meet our demise. So let's look at this text a little bit. Um, 
First of all, it, it uses the word promised here. Verse, we're looking at verse 13 and 14. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And what I want to do in the remainder of our time together is, is look at just, just kind of an introduction to what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit um, and a little teaching on this third member of the Trinity. And uh, the, here's a verse on this promise. What, is, what does it mean, promise? Well, it's in, there's a, quite a bit of information in John 14. Go ahead and let's turn there to John 14. I, I'll, have to, I'll have a lot of scripture to uh, have you look up and read, and then I'll have to summarize some other ones. Uh, but it's, it's all very uh, scriptural. We, sh- we need to base what we believe on what the Bible actually says, uh, not on you know, something else, another source. We've got to base it on what the Bible actually says. So this is John 14, a beautiful passage, uh, picking up verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Uh, the helper has come. This is in the, in the old versions, it was comforter. Remember that? And I, I like that word. I almost put comforter up there, but it's kind of old style. So I went with the newer word helper. It is the word paraclete, to anglicize this Greek word, paraclete. It's two words. Para means besides, like a paramedic. They're, they're not doctors, but they work right alongside doctors. Paralegal, right? If you uh, deal with a lawyer, good chance you're going to deal with a paralegal. They're working at some, you know, certain amount of payment per hour compared to the the attorney himself or herself, I should say. Um, para means beside, and the cleat is uh, really from kaleo means to call, to call beside. Uh, so the the helper, the comforter. This Holy Spirit is, by nature, he's called to us to be our advocate, to be our helper, to be our our inner comforter, actually, uh, which we're going to get to in in a couple of minutes as well. Um, Reading again the text, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit is the helper who has come, who was promised to us by God the Father and Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus leaves, he says, when I leave, I'm going to send another comforter, a helper to be with you in my absence. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. So this other word here, it says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers. And this is actually very interesting, I think. Uh, We're saved through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I wanted to mention this a little bit. Uh, the Holy Spirit actually, w- this indwelling, when, when this moment, this per- massive personal miracle that transitions, that changes us, it's called to be born again, to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It's what opens our heart and mind to God's truth. And we believe the gospel and we can say without any hesitation, without any equivocation, I really believe Jesus died for me. It's this beautiful, beautiful moment. That happens with rebirth. Here's a couple of uh, passages to think about for that, the Holy Spirit's work here in rebirth. We're saved through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered, truly, truly, this is John 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So that's how we're born again. This glorious miracle. We hear the word, the gospel of our salvation. We believe it and the Spirit opens our hearts and minds to trust God and we're born again. Here's a great passage if you're jotting this down. Titus 3, 5 through 7 says this. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, this Holy Spirit who dwells in us now, he is the means of our salvation. That's how we get saved through his work. And, and in Titus 3, 5 through 7, as he's uh, awesome language here, by the washing of regeneration. That almost sounds like a mixed metaphor. Because washing is one thing, and being reborn is sort of another thing, right? Um, he's bringing these two ideas together. That regeneration, being re that, that's basically to be reborn, to be born again, to be regenerated. This regeneration washes us and we're cleansed through being born again. Uh, this will happen. Uh, let, me, let me throw in another idea here. How does this actually work? Nuts and bolts. This is how it actually works. It says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So the, there's a baptism involved, which is water too, by the way. And then Galatians 3, 27 also has this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So it's kind of the same metaphor of this washing, this water. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit were actually baptized it says, for in one spirit you were all baptized into one body. The spirit at this moment, this miraculous moment where so many things take place, uh, the spirit comes on us and he, he takes us, and we're Baptists, so this is what we think baptism means. <laughs> uh, the, the real, actual, spiritual reality is that the Holy Spirit takes us and dunks us into Jesus. We're totally identified in him. You know, that's what baptism is, to be dunked under the water and raised up uh, to newness of life. And it's also taught in Romans chapter 6, by the way, an extended passage on it. So, so this, this connection, the Holy Spirit takes us miraculously in a spiritual level where there's no actual water involved at this point. The water baptism is a symbol or sort of a reenactment of what the Holy Spirit has done with us. That is, he's taken us, the real us, in our dirty, filthy, pile of junk stuff. One of, one of the, the young kids a few weeks ago, I said that as you ride your motorcycle down Highway 1 in the morning, and if the breeze, just, just before Marina, and the breeze is coming from the land toward the sea, which it frequently does in the morning, what you do on a motorcycle, you smell everything. Uh, and what you smell is the landfill. <laughs> There's a massive landfill just like a, a mile or half a mile over there. And the breeze just wafts that smell over to you. <laughs> One of our young people, I think it was in the Macaulay clan, wasn't it? Said uh, something like, hey, Mommy, can you smell my stink? That <laughs> was so awesome. Uh, and he said, that's just what Pastor, Pastor Wren said. Um, that, and, and that's wafting off of us, right? We, we need to be cleansed. Because wafting off of us is the stench of death, the, the smell of our sin. And, and that's why there's this beautiful, wonderful picture uh, that the Holy Spirit through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through 
Jesus Christ our Savior, again, this is tied at three, five through seven, and again, staying with the metaphor of, or, or the analogy of washing, right? How do you get, and that sounds a little bit more like Presbyterians right there, but we're going to live with that, you know. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's poured out on us, and I'm okay with that too. Because <laughs> uh, all that really matters is what really happens to us. When we come to faith in Christ, we're placed by the Spirit into Christ, and we're washed, cleansed, regenerated, renewed. Again, let me read the sentence because it's pretty cool. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, Titus 3, 5 through 7. A great commentary on our passage today. That is to say, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. How does he guarantee it? Well, we're, we're by him, we're baptized into Christ. And that's what guarantees our salvation. Our, our, our inheritance is completely granted. Take it for granted. Because it is. <laughs> it's granted to us by God himself uh, through Jesus Christ. It's all about this adoption thing, see? He predestined us for adoption. We're adopted by the work of the Holy Spirit. We're adopted to himself as sons. This is verse 5 of Ephesians 1. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of, of his will. So we're adopted into this wealthy family family of God, and we become heirs. The Bible actually says, you, you know what? You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You know, we get the inheritance that he gets. That's, that's amazing. That's called lavish grace and kindness, and it's all through the work of the Holy Spirit. So, so then, then subsequently to this, we finally get to this slide, really. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's where we are now. If you're a believer, if you're a believer, you've been through the you know, Holy Ghost rebirth. You've been reborn. And now the, the Holy Spirit actually lives in us. Here's a just, again, just a smattering of the Bible's expression of this. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Romans 8, 9. But, Paul says, but anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. See, there's in the confusing part of this is that in the book of Acts, there was this phase in, roll out, period of the Holy Spirit where God God didn't do it all at once. God actually loves process, by the way. He likes slow processes like a nine-month gestation. It'll give you plenty of time to get, uh, get used to this idea. <laughs> it did seem like a long time to some people. but <laughs> um, God's into process, and there's a process of giving the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's recorded in the book of Acts. You know, first the Jews at Pentecost got the Holy Spirit, then, then the Samaritans, some subsequent to that, sometime later received the Holy Spirit, then the full-on Gentiles, and Peter is a part of that whole process. This is perhaps the, the keys to the kingdom. You know, he's the one with the keys. He opens up the door for them to have the full... Uh, presence of God. Uh, so, and each time in the book of Acts the, uh, that the group of people and the individuals involved in the group received the Holy Spirit, they would get this uh, uh, amazing gift, this miraculous gift of being able to speak in a language they did not formally know. It would be like, let's go up to DLI, clap our hands, 
and shut it down because everybody can speak a different language <laughs> all at once, perfectly. <laughs> you know, they, and they pass that whatever test you take extremely well. That's, that's what happened each time. Uh, the gift of an unknown language was given to them. It was a hu normal human language. It wasn't babbling. Uh, the Bible says that if, if this spiritual gift comes, you need to in interpret it, translate it, and control it. It's not to be like, seriously, if you go to a church and they're having a worship service and like 15 people start babbling all at once, uh, that is not biblical at all. Just read the Bible. The Bible says at most, you know, two or three speak and one at a time with a translation. It's very specific. First uh, Corinthians, uh, like 11, 12, 13, 14 has, a, has all of that direction in there. But so this was like a phase-in period. Uh, and when the phase-in period was done, which is over the first, you know, few decades, literally a while, then subsequent to that, Paul says, he writes Romans, you can't be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit because that's how you get saved. You get saved when the Spirit comes in you, regenerates you, you're reborn, you're washed, you're cleansed, your sins are forgiven, and you have an eternal inheritance, a hope of eternal life from that time forward. Now, there's a really awesome balance here, uh, too, in, in 1 Corinthians 3. Two references I throw out. The end of 1 Corinthians 3 and the end of 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, my time is running short, so I won't really expand on it, but in 1 Corinthians 3, the teaching is that the Holy Spirit... No, let's, let's go ahead and look at it. The Spirit nudges me to look at it here uh, because it's super important about the church and then the individual. So I'm looking at turning the smart device to 1 Corinthians 3. Oh, I hear some phasers coming out. 1 Corinthians 3, at, at the very end, the, the difference here is in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking about the corporate body of Christ, the group of them. Um, and he says, just cutting into verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And he's talking plural here. As the body of Christ, the spirit dwells in the body of Christ, in the church. Uh, and that's why he says in verse 17, if anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you, again, you plural, you are that temple. And then if you look at 1 Corinthians 6, there, there's more of the individual aspect involved. The end of 1 Corinthians 6, particularly 19, verse 19. Here he's actually uh, talking about sexual sin, fleeing immorality, fleeing fornication, porneia, running, keeping ourselves pure of it, clean from it. Uh, and he says in verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies individually, is the temple of of the Holy Spirit within you. This is the individual. So there's the corporate, the whole body of Christ, and yes, the body universal is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but each individual Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, the verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers. Another big aspect of this, and these are all interconnected, uh, but I like to point it out, is that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are God's children. The personal, interpersonal touch of God himself with us Look with me at Romans 8, 13 and following. Romans 8, 13 and following. 
I might as well start at verse uh, 12, because that's where the paragraph starts. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Pause there for a second. The Bible presents this big battle. that We're, we're going to be in this battle our entire lives while we're here on this earth, until we're in heaven, then the battle will be over. But the battle for our entire life is against is our flesh, our sinful flesh, against the Spirit and obedience to God and what God wants us to do as we submit to Him. And he's saying we're not a debtor to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, to do what our fleshly desire wants to do. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Adopted as sons through Christ. That means we'll be led by the Spirit of God. And that's a sign. If, if you're being led by the Spirit, if, you, if God speaks to you and works in your heart through the Holy Scripture and through what He said, uh, then you're a son of God. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is a beautiful, beautiful word. It breaks into the Greek text. He throws in a Hebrew word, Abba. Um, You're familiar with a guy's name, Abraham, right? Abraham. The A-B. Abraham means literally father, Ab, Ra, many, Am people, Abraham, father of many people. Father Abraham had many sons. Why didn't you do that one, John? <laughs> right hand. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> we're we're going to sing that on our Monday night fellowship, uh, <laughs> which never happens. Anyway, but <laughs> but just plug into a little Hebrew. Ab, 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 Daddy. Um, Abba is literally very nicely translated into daddy. My my oldest sister was named Judy, and she had 13 kids, she and her husband. Uh, And uh, they decided, they they met in Israel, and they were both fluent in Hebrew. And so they went by Abba and Ima. And I'm still friends with, the kids on Facebook, and they talk about Ima and Abba uh, all the time. Ima means, of course, mommy. But Abba, so he's Abba, and it's just, you know, that's what they call him constantly. And so Paul, the apostle, he grew up calling his daddy Abba. You know, we don't have, we have no idea what his relationship with his dad was like, right? But here he's saying, we plug that in, and we have the privilege we're, he lavished his grace on us that we call the God of the universe, who is the Father of Christ. We call him our Father, who art in heaven. You, Abba, Father, Daddy, and not even, not even formal, but informal. You know, Daddy. That's how close we are to God, the Father, the Creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of heaven and earth. By whom? By How does this work? Through the Holy Spirit. By whom? Through the Holy Spirit. He's what brings us into that close, personal, interpersonal relationship with God the Father. What a huge blessing. What an amazing benefit uh, that we have from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness. I'm, I'm still finishing the text here. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. And, you know, cry can mean, hey, I'm in trouble, Dad. Help me. Please, hear my cry for help. Our psalm today was a great example of that. When we're in trouble, we cry out to God. Nothing uh, negative about that. That's what we should do. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, I already quoted this, and fellow heirs, I said joint heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So there it is. This, this, this Holy Spirit has all of this amazing work in us. And then finally, closing with our text, really more specifically, it says this about him. that You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You know, the idea here is God put his mark of ownership on us. That's what the seal is. Remember, they, they used the same word when the Romans in vain sealed the tomb. You know, they, they put a seal on it saying, if you break open the tomb of Jesus Christ, you're violating Roman authority. And God says, I have no problem with that. <laughs> he laughs at them, uh, the Bible says. But it's, it's the symbol of authority. And we have you know, the highest authority, the highest seal, the promise, the certainty uh, of the King of Kings. We're sealed. We're, our salvation is certain. You see, it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your ability to obey God. It's through the work of Jesus Christ for us. And we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then there's this last expression, who is the guarantee. It's the Greek word, arabon, which is actually basic transliteration right from Hebrew, arabon. And it, it comes mainly out of financial transactions where you... You're very serious. You're going to buy something. You give them a serious deposit. You, know, you are going to make the rest of the payment because you, you're already invested you know, some 10% into this transaction. And it's only 10%, but you, you are promising to finish off the deal and close the deal and, and make that thing your possession forever. And that's where we are now. We have the promise of God the Word of God. And our experience may be completely different. I, I, you know, I may be a son of God, but I don't always feel like it. I feel poor. I feel lonely. Um, I, yes, I have the Spirit saying, Abba, Father, within me, but I'm suffering and I'm scared. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying Psalm 38 over and over again. God, where are you? I need your help. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're so far away from the experience of my pain and suffering. So, so all of that is in, you know, in the, the promises here, the guarantee, it's 100% guaranteed, but the full redemption hasn't been applied to us. We're still waiting for the full redemption to be paid. The Holy Spirit is that seal, though, and that guarantee. Uh, here's in Ephesians 4, the same book, uh, Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's two things that the Bible says we can do with the indwelling Spirit. We can grieve Him. We can make Him sad. We can make Him uncomfortable. Uh, we can bring grief into the Holy Spirit uh, by our actions. So he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's Ephesians 4.30. Uh, it also says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19-22, do not quench the Spirit. So here's the Spirit within us. We can grieve Him. We can quench Him. Um, but we're called to honor Him, right? Here's first, 2 Corinthians 1.22 about the guarantee and the seal. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts. So in our hearts, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling there as a guarantee of the future. He's put, uh, let's see, given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now verse 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So our salvation is certain. It depends on God and His work. And the Spirit is given to us. And it, it's a relationship that the more we feed on the Word of God, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is the Word of 
the Spirit, He speaks through His Word to us and encourages us and comforts us in, in our affliction and our troubles. So it goes with just this, this kind of idea. I, the main emphasis of, of this passage is comfort. You know, he's saying, guys, God has lavished on us all these spiritual blessings, and it's sealed and guaranteed by the Spirit himself who lives within us. It's absolutely certain. But I, I, the next word I use, and complications. <laughs> uh, m- meaning this, I mean, but, you know, we live in a broken world, and we're, we're cautioned. I read 1 Corinthians 6, which says, you, you have to keep in mind these things, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we should use this as a, a way to stay away from dishonoring him and sinning. And then I read that we could grieve the Holy Spirit, again, by straying away from what God has given us. And then we can quench the Spirit. When the, the Spirit's moving us to obey him, we can say no to the Holy Spirit, and we can despise his prophecies and turn our back on him. So, again, the main thing I want to say is comfort, right? Comfort. This is about certainty in this text. It's all made certain by God himself. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this tremendous teaching and thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he is the spirit of truth. He leads us into all truth. He opens our hearts and our minds to know you. He opens our hearts and minds to be aware of our need of forgiveness and our need of Jesus himself. He convicts us of of sin The Holy Spirit makes us uncomfortable and wretched sometimes. We're so thankful for that. And we're thankful for a conviction of sin. And we pray that the Spirit will push us toward faith and confidence in Jesus, our Savior. Lord, help us to be certain of these great promises through your indwelling Spirit. Always and only through Jesus we pray. Amen. Please join with me. Stand. We sing one final song.